because they are having an early bird registration. There is so many details to plan from the kids program to all the different workshops and stuff. We need to know who is going to be there. So as an incentive, if you will register by August 1st, that's two weeks, right? I think that's two weeks. Uh, it's only $25 a person. If you wait till after August 1st, it's $40 a person. So that's, that's 15 bucks per person right there. And kids are cheaper. I think it's $20 before August 1st, and then after is $25 or something like that. But um, so please, um, we, there's, a, there's a website and a link. We got it. We'll get that to you. We'll send it out to you this week. Um, register and, and let's be there. It's going to be an awesome, awesome day. It's actually the day after Franklin and Lincoln play in the football game. So, I mean, well, you know, I mean, that's just, we'll have all kinds of things. We'll, 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 we'll beef it up on the field Friday night and we'll come together in unity around Jesus on Saturday. Amen. Sergio and Liz got married right here in this building yesterday. It was awesome, man. This is why you see these pillars here. Uh, they had flowers on them, and they graciously donated these to our church uh, so to use for uh, events. So if you want to get married and you're a part of this church, I mean, you got a free church building, you got a free pastor who will officiate the wedding, and now you got free pillars right here. Uh, I, and so we're going to clean them up after today. But I was looking at these, and I was like, you know what would be really cool is if we kind of built like a, a, a statue of certain people in this church that would last for all time. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm just saying, some of us, you know, and, and maybe we get it, you know, accurate, maybe not. Maybe we put my face on John Cena's body and just have it, you all would know that it's not real, but then once we're all dead, our grandchildren, they won't know, and they're like, dude, the founding pastor of this church was ripped. Um, Anyways, so that's awesome, and that, uh, so you'll have those, such a great thing, they're obviously starting their honeymoon, so when they get back, we will uh, uh, celebrate with them. It was a great, great service yesterday. This is summer, and so we've got people in and out as they're doing different trips and stuff. My family was in the mountains of Arizona doing a family reunion on my side. It had been three years since all of us uh, were together in one place and it was such a special time. We just got back uh, last week uh, just to see all the kids be together, uh, just to be cooking together. We were all living in one ha uh, big house in, in the mountains of Arizona, playing games, talking, enjoying each other's presence, and just seeing how after three years apart and the kids growing up, it's still we can just pick it right back up where it left off and have that really just safe, vulnerable family space, right? One of the uh, highlights of the time was honoring my parents. Uh, they had just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And so we surprised them one evening, and we spent over an hour honoring them. So I've got a picture here. So show that picture there of my, okay, go back one to the smaller one. So that is my mom and dad in the middle, and that is me and my siblings. So uh, that's my sister, my two brothers. And uh, uh, you can see I kind of got the, 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 the garbage genes, you can tell, in the family. So Jaden's hoping he gets my, my brother's genes right there. But from that, and then, then show the bigger one. So this is now what has come from all of that. So that's uh, uh, all of us with all their grandchildren. 
and, and all the marriages. That's not bad for a white family. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's not bad. You know what I mean? It'd be, it'd be a lot bigger if it was a Mexican family, but it's not bad, you know? Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, we were all together. It was awesome. And uh, in this time of honoring, every member of the family contributed. And what we did for over an hour, we said, you've been married 50 years. We want to share with you 50 ways that mom and dad, you've left a legacy in this family that will last, outlast you. Um, and it was, I mean, emotional night. Lots of tears and heartfelt sharing. It was the kind of stuff you hear at someone's funeral. But it's even better because my parents got to hear it, right? Uh, we were stepping back and just, we spent the whole week when they weren't around just putting this list together and just seeing all the ways that they had built, they have built a family. Uh, we shared the deep stuff from these values that they imparted to us that are from God to really simple family traditions and famous foods that we all cook in our homes right now, right? And it was the kind of thing that we all want to hear towards the end of our lives. But, you know, by the end of it, my, my father said, this is the greatest night of my life. Uh, and, and as I lay in bed that night, I realized that over 25 years ago, <clears throat> my relationship with my father was in a really bad place. It was on the verge of shattering. There was a lot of hurt and anger on my end, <clears throat> and I was filled up with all kinds of bitterness. And while some of it was me being mature, a lot of it was justified. Uh, I, and I look back, and I realize... <clears throat> That if I was not following Jesus, specifically if I was not following Jesus in a deep community of Jesus-centered friends, if I was not in a spiritual family that helped me take that anger day after day to God and to go and work things out with my father, I would have let that anger and hurt destroy me. And it would have destroyed one of the most important relationships that Jesus has had for me in my lifetime. I, if I did not have the spiritual family and the friendships around Jesus, I would have not handled my hurt rightly or maturely, and then I would have not been able, decades later, to be in the mountains of Arizona seeing all the incredible blessings and legacy that my father and my mother have left for me. The Bible is clear. We are to prioritize our spiritual family. We're to prioritize those friendships that are centered on the way of Jesus, where everyone is helping each other obey Jesus so that we can then bring the power of the kingdom of God to our family. I mean, it took me years of working with my spiritual family to get to the point where I was fully forgiving and reconciling with my father. I was the one that led the charge this week to create this honoring celebration. There was a transformation over, it took decades in my life, and it was rooted in the fact that I had friends in Jesus that would not let me get sabotaged by anger and hurt. We're in a series on friendships, developing Jesus-centered friendships as a community of Jesus-centered followers as we see Jesus modeling friendship in the Bible. And we've talked about how friends in the church help us through generosity, through intentionality, through empathy and hope. And today we're going to look at what happens when those friendships in the church go wrong. 
Today we're going to look at peacemaking and how we as children of God in his kingdom can live uniquely the way he modeled for us to live as people who are meek, who are merciful, and who are peacemakers. So if you're able, would you stand with me to hear God's word from Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Lord Jesus, we're here today because we need you. God, we have determined that you are the best thing, that you are the only reality that leads us into life and into mercy and into blessings. So God, would you come and open up our hearts and our minds to hear your word today. God, we need to be fed in our souls today. Take away our our apathy, take away our tiredness and our distractions, help us to lock in and hear you through this scripture that is inspired by your spirit. We pray all this in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, this teaching of Jesus comes out of what is widely known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is a longer uh, sermon, what I like to say the greatest sermon ever told. A lot of good books on the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, that are out there. Some good, good folks that have written some books on this. But um, on, a, on a, a first reading, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you might seem like it's all about personal holiness. Like Jesus teaching, how do I become a better person? What are the virtues that I should go after? How should I live my life? But if we look at the biblical context that that sermon is in and the historical context we see that the, G, the teaching of Jesus, that it's dealing with both the individual and this wider reign of God in our world, the kingdom of God. And when we're talking about kingdoms and governance and power and authority, we're talking about politics, aren't we? We're talking about politics. Everybody's like, oh, no. Don't worry, I'm not going to get going on politics. But, but how do we see that? The biblical context for the Sermon on the Mount is the book of Matthew. And in the beginning of this book, just a few chapters before what I read to you right now, Matthew gives a genealogy of Jesus, like his family uh, history. And it's not quite the same one that's found in Luke. He, he, Matthew emphasized a different part of Jesus' family. Matthew is highlighting Jesus as a descendant of David, who, the ultimate king of Israel. That Jesus is the Messiah, the king of for who Israel has long waited, who proclaims, right, repent for the kingdom of heaven has now come near to you, and I'm the king. 
So switch your worship of your kings of this world, worship me. And the, the Beatitudes, the reading of the scripture that I just gave you, it gives us a picture of what is the kingdom of God like. They're not so much high ideals, but they're sort of like the description and the shape of the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, don't be surprised to find that it's the meek and those who mourn who are blessed. Blessed meaning they have it good. It's the opposite of the kingdoms of this world. See, we look at the rich. Oh, they're blessed. Those who eat at the fancy restaurants, right? They have it good. And we want to be in their place. But in God's kingdom, we find those who hunger for righteousness have it good. Those who are merciful to the people who hurt them, they have it good. Not the powerful who make it in this world, whom the world puts up, but God lifts up people in his upside-down kingdom. Right? So, for some historical context, this sermon was given during the Pax Romana. It's literally the Roman peace. Right? This period saw unprecedented peace and prosperity for the Roman Empire. But the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom under King Jesus, it would not be attained through the violence of Romans' powerful legions and soldiers. Jesus' talk of the kingdom, it speaks right into the politics of this world. It's saying, no, you're doing it wrong. You're trying to achieve peace the wrong way. During this time, there were also these zealots, or we would call them terrorists. They were sort of a political movement of Jews that were trying to violently overthrow their Roman oppressors. And they thought that they were bringing in God's kingdom. But, their, but by their military kind of ways of life, they, they thought that they were showing themselves to be the true sons of God. But Jesus would not bring his kingdom into this world through violence. He would not spread his kingdom through violence because in his kingdom, blessed are the meek. They have it good. Blessed are the merciful. They have it good in my kingdom. Blessed are the peacemakers. They are the true sons and daughters of God. All of this to say, the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're reading from today, it's, it, it, it is teaching for us as individuals, but it also has this wider socio-political scope in it. And now what does that have to do with Christian friendships, you might be saying? What, what, what are you doing, Chris? You're getting way big picture here. Well, there's a lot happening in our world today. Can I get an amen about that? I mean, the news is crazy. The injustice, the violence, the hate, the anger, all the divisions. We need to speak up as Christians about that. We need to say, you're going down the wrong path. And there's a path of the kingdom of God. But... For us as Christian individuals to speak into it, to even pray with power into the large stuff that's affecting our lives all around us, we need to have integrity. We need to be the ones that actually live out God's kingdom person to person in our friendships. See, if we're feeling anger about how people in, in power in this world are acting as they're acting with arrogance and vengeance, as they're not trying to make peace and they're just trying to get their way, if we're tired of both people in power making war instead of peace, and we want to speak into that and pray into that, well, let's first take a sober look at how are we doing with the people in our lives. See, we are to pursue peace 
in the places that we have the power to pursue peace. With our brothers and sisters right here in this house, with our blood family that we live with every day, with the co-workers that we work with every day, with our friends that we go to school with every day. And in that way, as we pursue peace, we then open up the kingdom of God as light in a dark world. Can I get an amen for that? See, as children of our heavenly Father, friends in this family of God, let's pursue peace with humility and forgiveness. Not because we should, because that's just what we should do as Christians, but because that's who we are and who we want to become. It's part of our identity as children of God. We're the ones that every day are supposed to go, I'm living differently. I'm trying to live differently. I'm trying to go against the instincts that have been, I've been taught since the day I was birth, uh, born, right? I'm trying to live as a meek person, as a merciful person, as one that pursues peace. Let's live into that identity a little bit today. Think about the time you were angry with someone. Maybe that's actually right now. <laughs> Maybe it's not so far in the past, right? Maybe it's just this morning, right? Maybe it, it was just this past week. What happened? How did it feel in your body? What were the thoughts that went through your head? What did that anger make you say or do? Don't, don't speak that out loud, by the way. You know, we, don't, we don't want to publicly shame anybody. Or, right, or maybe you have been angry or upset for a long time at somebody. And maybe there's these times when you don't think about them so that you're fine. Then all of a sudden, boom, there's that trigger and there's that little sting, right? I want us to keep that the anger we're dealing with today, this week, or long-term anger, let's, let's keep that in our mind as we look at this whole murder-anger issue that Jesus teaches on. In Matthew 5, Jesus goes up to the mountain, hence the name Sermon on the Mount. And he is saying, going up and giving this teaching, I'm the new Moses. Moses went up to the mountain and received the Ten Commandments. And now Jesus goes up, but not to do away with that old law that Moses got from God, the whole do not murder but actually to fulfill that law. Not to give a new law about murder, but a new way of living out the law. Let me say that again. Not to give a new law about murder, but a new way of living out the law of God. Living out what it means to be a people of God who bring his life. Jesus tackles murder by going to its, its root, anger. Right? He's saying, you all have just been obsessed with just don't kill nobody. Just don't kill nobody and then you're good. Actually, that's not, that's not going to save you. That's not the way of God. Yes, we don't kill nobody, but we, we actually tackle our hearts and our minds. Followers of Jesus are people who work with the spirit of Jesus to respond rightly to anger. See, when we let our anger spiral, we feel it, we start to think on it, we start to fantasy fight, we start to think about how can I express this anger, and when it starts to spiral... What Jesus is telling us in his teaching is we are walking closer to the edge of the cliff of murder. Murderous hearts that say, well, that person's dead to me right now. In my anger, what God is saying is when we are in anger, living in it, that he, is, he sees that as you are saying, I'm dead to that person right now. Uh, Catherine, who is uh, one of the teaching pastors in our West L.A. church, um, gives a great uh, illustration. Catherine, when she was in her early 20s, uh, you guys might know, remember Dr. Quinn, 
we've accessed his uh, expertise a lot in this COVID stuff, one of the elders at our West LA church. So she's dating Quinn in her early 20s. And a friend of hers, not a close friend, but a friend in her church community. All We're going to call this friend Chismosa. Okay? So Chismosa, all of a sudden, Catherine all of a sudden hears from somebody else that Chismosa is talking bad about Catherine. And what Chismosa is saying is Catherine is not being a good friend to one of our other friends who's going through a bad time right now. When Catherine heard this, she was livid. Okay, because Catherine was like, Chismosa has not seen what I have done for the friend who's going through a hard time. Chismosa's not there when I'm like spending time with her and I'm bringing her stuff. What? She has no idea how I'm living my life with this friend. How can she say that I'm not a good friend? And she's livid, right? Then Chismosa starts saying, not to Catherine, of course, but to other folks, that Catherine is not a good girlfriend to Quinn. Now, Catherine didn't tell me this when, when she shared this with me, but I was like, I'm sure it's because Chismosa liked Quinn. You know what I'm saying? Because Quinn's a catch. I mean, he's a stud, okay? <laughs> and she just gets infuriated. She said she was infuriated. And you all know what her temptation would have been in that moment, right? The temptation to, at the very least, start insulting Chismosa back. And just began the vicious cycle of insults and insults and insults. And it was also very tempting for Catherine to just start to treat Chismosa like she didn't even exist at all. To murder her in her heart like she was dead to Catherine. But as Catherine was in this rage, when she hears this stuff, she just, right? And she's in this time of church and she just hears Jesus speak right into Catherine's rage and say, Chismosa is still a sister in the family of God, even though she's a broken sister right now. Mm. And she's still a sister, and I'm still your king. Catherine had no idea what she ever did for this woman to start talking like this about her, but she just said she wrestled, and she knew that I have submitted my allegiance to King Jesus and so even though I don't feel like it, I know that if I obey King Jesus, it will be better. And so Catherine actually calls this woman up to just hang out with her and to try to work things out. And the woman will not respond and will not hang out and will not talk. Now at this point, Catherine has another temptation. She could say, well, I tried. I tried. And she did. So now I can let my anger flow. Now I can tell people, yeah, I tried, and she's just be this, so she's just this, blah, blah, right? But King Jesus kept speaking to Catherine, and Catherine chose to not let her anger spiral, and she kept giving it to Jesus, and she refused to let this woman be dead to her. She started to pray for her. She would not talk bad about her. She started to honor her when she wasn't around. She forgave her, and she kept waiting for the other woman to finally respond to her persevering forgiveness and love. Sometimes... We go, as Jesus says, leave your altar and go and work it out. Sometimes we go and the other part doesn't want to make things right. But we've done our part so far as it depends upon us. Romans 12 says, live peacefully with all people as far as it depends on you. 
as far as it depends on you in as much the power you have to make things peaceful, you make things peaceful. You do what you can to make peace. It is why peacemakers are given the blessing in the kingdom because it takes a heck of a lot more peace to pursue uh, strength, to pursue peace when the other person won't than just to give in to the anger spiral. It takes a heck of a lot more faith in Jesus to pursue peace and love when the other person won't than it is to just step into the anger spiral. So Catherine could have murdered her in her heart and she also could have insulted her back through the the cheese made grapevine and begin a vicious cycle of anger and insult. It's a vicious cycle we become entangled in, being angry and insulting. And Jesus is clear that being angry with someone is putting yourself in a spiritually dangerous place. If you stay in it, you're putting yourself in a place where God can judge you. See, if you start into the vicious cycle of insults and hurt, it's even more spiritually dangerous. So then Jesus gives us these commands to break the vicious cycle of anger and insult so that we will get out of the place of judgment. Have you figured it all by now, y'all? You live life long enough. The best place to be in is when God is blessing you. The worst place to be in is when you are under judgment. That just Take everything away from me. Take it all away and just keep the favor of God on my life. So Jesus is saying, you don't want to be in a place of judgment, and so I'm giving you these commands so that when anger comes up, you can move out of that place of judgment into a place of blessing. Um, And so he gives these commands to break the vicious cycle of anger and insults. He gives transformative practices that transform the relationship from one of anger to one of mercy, and it allows the angry person to participate in the way of grace and forgiveness. The kingdom of God... It broke through into our world through Jesus on the cross. On the cross, God did not stay in his anger of us. He released that anger. He gave us mercy, and he came close to us in a loving relationship. That's the amazing thing. We hurt God more than anybody will hurt us, and God didn't just forgive us. He forgave us and then said, I want to love you and be best friends with you. That's power. And then the kingdom of God, that's where it starts at the cross, and then it keeps breaking into our world through those of us who will embrace the way of the cross in the spirit of Jesus. Jesus is always calling us to participate with him in building his kingdom in the midst of these kingdoms, to partner with him, to represent him. That's the only way we worship him, y'all. You can sing the songs all day long, but if you're not following him in the way you live your life, you are rejecting his kingdom. And you're worshiping other kings. He delivers us from this vicious cycle. In Matthew chapter 18, he tells us, if you're angry with someone, go and work it out until you can forgive. Here in Matthew 5, he's telling us, even if you're not angry, but you realize someone's angry at you, you stop trying to worship me, and you go and talk with that person and work it out until there's peace. Do you hear that? When you realize, like, I, I'm good, but hey, somebody's angry with me. Instead of going, hey, I'll wait. If they want to talk with me, hey, that's their thing. I'll wait for them. No, Jesus is saying, no. My people are peacemakers. Whether you're angry at somebody or somebody's angry at you, you go. No matter, whenever you realize there's something wrong in a relationship, a person of Jesus goes and takes the initiative and says, I, I don't want this to be wrong anymore. 
See, it's another beautiful way that you are saying, okay, I'm cool, but this person's mad at me. I'm going to go because I don't want that person to stay in anger very long over me. I don't want them to get themselves in a place where they could be under the judgment of Jesus. I love them so much. I'm going to go work this out so that they are good with Jesus and good with me. Right? See, Jesus is saying, if you know that, that someone is upset with you and you do nothing about it, then you are not able to fully worship me. Jesus is saying, my kingdom, my heart beats to forgiveness and reconciliation. I literally bleed and suffer to make relationships right. I do not bleed and suffer to bring revenge to people. I do not bleed and suffer to create more division. I do not bleed and suffer to gossip. I do not, that is not my way, but I will go to the very end of my life to bleed and suffer to make people who are apart together. So when you go and you try to talk it out and to work it out, you are in that moment entering into the most authentic worship of Jesus. You are breaking into a dark place with this light that comes. Going and reconciling with people are the new norms for Jesus' followers. Did you see that? It's, he's saying, leave the, the thing and go. That is the emphasis here. You're in a place of anger. Don't sit in that place of anger. Some of us right here have been taught that we're in a place of anger. Yeah, it's wrong to talk about somebody. It's wrong to lash out and gossip. So I'm just going to stuff it. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm just going to hold it in. I'm going to be real passive about it. That is not what Jesus says here, does he? He does not say, hey, it's okay as long as you don't say anything. Just keep it in. He's like, no, you go. Because I'm authentic and honest with you. The only way you can have real relationship is if you're authentic and honest with each other. See, going and reconciling with people are to be the new normal for Jesus' followers. See, the root is anger. But to get out of that anger, it's not just about, like, the inner attitude. You can't always just pray anger away. Because, right, the command of Jesus, did you notice it's not, stop being angry. If you're angry with someone, just stop it. If you're angry with someone, pray to me that you will stop being angry. Anger itself is not a sin. Anger is just a normal human feeling. Can I get an amen there? Right? Anger is just, if, if you don't get angry when somebody hurts you, that's a little weird. You know what I'm saying? If you're just always smiley face and it's like, that's fine, you can just hit me again. I'm totally fine with that. That's a little weird. Okay? That's weird. Anger is normal. All right? And if you just keep trying to tell yourself, don't be angry, I'm sure you've all tried. It just doesn't work, y'all. I mean, my gosh, if you're a parent, you're probably angry like 20 times a day at your children, right? When they're in your house, you know what I'm saying? In your house, small children to big children. It doesn't matter what age. <laughs> just saying. Okay, and I know what Jaden's thinking right now. He's like, say the other way. Yes, if you're a child, you're angry with your parents 20 times a day. Especially if you got to live with them, right? That's just normal. Jesus got angry. It's all about what we do with the anger. It's all about what we do. Conflict resolution should be a normal part of our existence. 
we say things we shouldn't say. Maybe we do things we shouldn't do in our anger. Maybe we show up one day and we're just not in a mood and we give the wrong look to somebody. And then by the end of the day, that somebody is mad because they interpreted a lot with the wrong look. And now we're like, what? You're interpreting all of that? I was just in a bad mood. And now I'm pissed at you. And now we're not going to talk for six months. It's all about what you do with the anger. And that's why we need to practice pursuing peace, forgiving and reconciling we got to break the vicious cycle of anger. It's not only about the inner feelings. It's not about intentions only. Oh, we got to deal with that. It's, it's a practice. It's a lifestyle to engage in. All of my closest friends are ones that I've had lots of conflict resolution with. Right? And it's not, that's not a sign that that's like something's wrong about the friendship. That's a sign that's great depth. I like tell people, hey, you know, a marriage is kind of the closest human relationship that we have. And all the great marriages fight a lot and then reconcile a lot. What makes a great marriage is you know how to work it out and get back to unity. Can I get an amen there, right? Everybody's going to fight, right? Everybody's going to fight. It's the folks that just refuse to work out the fight, and, right? And so if that is the model of the closest relationship, then our friendships can only go deeper as we learn how to work things out, right? We work things out. Oh, my gosh. I'm out of time. Well, part two will come later. Worship team, let's go. Church. Amen. (laughs) Church, if if you ever just ever have those moments when you're like, I want to make a difference in this world. I just want to make a difference in my family. I just want to have my life be like a legacy for my life. Then be a peacemaker. There's a reason why Jesus says those who are meek, and I didn't get to it, but meek doesn't mean weak in the kingdom. Meek people stand up for justice. Meek people call out sin. But meek is a humility. To have a humility to say the words, I am sorry, and then to say the words, I forgive you. Those are powerful words. Think about how hard it is in the midst of conflict at the end to say the words. What do we often say? It's good. We're cool. And then that person, you walk away like, are we really good? But to have the humility to say, God has to forgive me every day, and so I forgive you. To have the humility to go, you know what, I was wrong, and say the words, I am sorry. I am convinced they carry spiritual power. Those words, when they're said with a genuine heart, carry spiritual power. And man, if we want to leave a legacy in this world, it's not about getting a bunch of money. It's not about getting a bunch of followers. It's not about having some unique gift that everybody gives cheers for be a peacemaker learn the practice of pulling someone aside and say hey because I love you I just want to talk this through because I love you and you mean the most to me I don't want to just let this stay in my heart because I love you I want to say I'm sorry oh my gosh if our church could be known for that 
if our church could be known for people walking in and they start to sing and they realize, oh my gosh, that person across the room, we had a little bit of coldness last week. I got to go there before I start to sing. And actually, literally, as the worship is going on, people are going across the room and putting a hand around and say, hey, I'm sorry that I was just rude to you last week. I love you. You're my brother or sister of Christ. And let's pray together. And then worship. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, we will have the Spirit of God drop in our lives. What we would bring to our family. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. As we worship, come on, let's stand together. And as we worship in this place, if there is somebody here, ask the Lord for the courage and the great love to follow his way and go make things right. Ask the Lord for his spirit to genuinely forgive somebody and to really prove it to him and to yourself by initiating with that person somehow this week. And it might be something small. It might be that you just start out and you just text them after periods of silence to say, hey, how are you doing? To let them know you're not dead to me. Lord Jesus, come as we sing to you. Come, would you cleanse us from all bitterness would you cleanse us from defensiveness? Would you cleanse us from pride? Would you cleanse us, Lord, from these lies that say that to be strong is, is to not forgive. To be strong is to be angry. Lord Jesus, get rid of that poison in us. God, give us your spirit of love that just saturates everything that we do. That we would be a people that just forgive and apologize. That Always go low so that you can be high. Come, Lord Jesus. We love you because you chose to forgive us. That you've chosen to forgive us every day. We love you. That's why we worship you, because you don't hold grudges. You don't give us what we deserve. You don't gossip about us. You brag about us. Come, Lord Jesus, let us worship you. And then let us follow you and be like you.